0: All right, man, I'm uh, I'm really excited about what the Lord is doing right now in the body and the words that he has for us, and as we were singing this morning, how great is our God, old tune, but man, great, great lyric. I was just thinking of the, uh, there's a prayer in there, really, I was praying today for us, and that is that all the world will see how great our God is, and that sounds, man, even saying that sounds so cliche, Right? Y'all with me this morning? Everybody wait. How great our God is. I hope people will see how great our God is. I, mean, I feel like I'm in junior high, sitting around in a circle, holding hands, singing Kumbaya. and saying, but if the people could just know how great our God is. If I just knew then what I know now, you know, that would have been real for me back then. Because it's real today. I just, you know, I'm, I am so ready for us, first of all, to see how great our God is. I mean, to see Jesus for who he is. How long will you be with me, Philip? How long have I been with you and you still don't know me? I mean, because all the stuff that we're singing this morning, that should be coming from our hearts, but it's not, and that's okay. Don't feel guilty. Feel challenged. Feel excited about the possibility. Because there's something about There are lots of things about Jesus and his name that we sang about in a number of different songs this morning. Name above all names. What does that mean? doesn't mean that the name Jesus, the J-E-S-U-S, actually sounds better than all the other names, right? It's not that. He's talking about his character. The character of Christ is is awe-inspiring. There's something about the name and the character of Christ that really does change us on the inside, ultimately changes us on the outside, ultimately shows the world somebody worth having. And we have spent all of our days, most of us, and still, even in the gathering place, I don't know how much of our days have really been spent Showing people who Jesus is. I think we've been talking a lot about really cool church. And what cool church looks like. You know, and got a lot of people visiting today, a lot of new faces today. And it's always the case. Lots of people coming to check us out. I don't know why people check us out unless they really think we're a really cool church. And I I hope that at some point it's gonna be because they see something, somebody, somebody in us, and can recognize that the character that's being just demonstrated in our life is a result of of a character that we're coming to know, a person that we're coming to know. And it's not just because we got a, a, a church that's young and, you know, and whatever we are. I like saying young. It makes me feel young, even though I'm the senior adult here. Me and Bill. So, man, I'm excited about today. Y'all excited? I mean, there's, there's so much about us talking together today about, about Jesus that excites me. I'm excited about what we're doing right now, about the, the, the thing that God's told me to do in the preaching uh, time for the next year or two. I don't know how long it's going to last, really, but, I mean, it has the potential to last forever, right? Because we can never quit, quit talking about the characteristics of Jesus. That's really what the Bible's about, It's showing us who God is. Now, what's significant about this in my mind is this. As we were singing today, I thought about this. All right, so everybody plug in. Ready? Here we go. Here's what's significant about what we're doing today. We are, most of us are coming here today, and we have these ideas about who God is based on what we've seen in religion and mostly bad religion. Okay? Religion that, let me just take ownership of it, that I perpetuated and, and promoted for years. It's, it's, we've been pushing religion on people and, and choose one kind of religion or style of religion over another. Uh, we had a wedding yesterday, Paul and Rachel's wedding, and I was talking to some of the guys after the wedding uh, who was talking about, you know, yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm religious, you know, I'll go to this church and this and I've changed, you know, I used to be this and I changed this. Like they were going to impress the pastor, you know, I was thinking, oh, that's cool, you know, whatever. But that's where we, we identify ourselves with religion instead of with The God of creation and that just blows my mind that those first of all that we have walked away from the God of creation and made religion something that is not connected directly to him that blows my mind now that I'm discovering who God is it blows my mind that I can go all the way through seminary and never really discover who God is but I can learn about how to do church in a very specific way and so man look it's all of us are there We're all there. We need to admit that, first of all. We don't have the answers, uh, none of us do, to how to do church. And I think until we really come come in contact with the person of Christ and discover who he is in his word and in life as he reveals himself to us, we're never going to know how to do church right. It's not until what we do on Sunday morning becomes a response of who we discover during the week. I mean, a legitimate response of who we discover during the week that it's actually going to be real. So until then, we're going to sing songs like it is real. All right? Everybody good with that? <laughs> we're just going to sing songs like it is real. Because one day, you might just happen to get up and the kids act right on the way to church. Or you might happen to get up and you, didn't have a, 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 you're not, you don't have a hangover from Saturday night. And you're getting over here with a little bit clearer head. You know, or you might accidentally show up here on a Sunday morning and have actually experienced God in some way during the week. And the words become real for you great day right wouldn't it be cool if that could be every day every moment all the seconds and moments of our life that's what we're looking for all right so that's going to be found in Christ and we we are trying to answer the question you know Philip told Jesus he said father, he said Jesus show us the father and it will be enough and Jesus said are you serious right now he show you the father didn't Have you been with me so long and you don't know that I am the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. You not get it yet? This is in the last hours of Jesus' time with the disciples. Like the closing moments of Jesus' time with the disciples. Like, we're going to have this talk, and then I'm going to be crucified here. Yeah, I'm going to be arrested, and I won't see you guys until after resurrection. Last moments. They spent three years walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, getting all their questions answered. And still they didn't know that he was God. How does that happen? Man, we can sit here and criticize and talk about all the ways it couldn't, but it's happened for us. How many of you have possessed God in your, inside of you? Jesus told them, he said, now I am with you, but it, then I will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the same person as Jesus, the same God as the Father, and lives inside of us. How long is he going to be in us? Are we going to walk with him? possessing being the temple of the Holy Spirit I mean walking every moment every second of every day with us and we're still not we still don't know who he is the, the problem is we got to get all the distractions out of the way number one and number two we got to see Jesus we got to see him know who he is and we got stories in the Bible of how Jesus had interactions with people and they're great stories that revealed to us wonderful truths about the person Jesus who he is and so we're diving in right now. We're starting in Matthew, and we'll kind of move around between the Gospels, and we're going to try and hit every story we can think of that has any truth to reveal to us about who Christ is. And try also to get in the moment, okay? Will you struggle with me to do that? Put yourself in the story and find something in your life that, that applies, uh, that that, that Jesus' character can speak to. I love the songs we sing this morning. I don't know all of them, but and I don't know the lyrics, but... And, you know, we just kept talking about here's, a, here's something we need and here's who he is. Here's something else we need and here's who he is. And the truth is, Jesus is all you need. Now that, again, let's kumbaya it again. You grab a little junior high, sweaty palms next to me. Uh, this is stuff we've always said, but it is true. It's true. He is all we need. And until we get that in our hearts, we're, 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 just, you know, we're just going through the motions of trying to figure it out. All right, so let's pick up at Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to do a lot of reading, and I'm going to move fast today, okay? A lot of reading, a lot of talking. Uh, so I hope you can keep your spirits awake, uh, which means you'll probably have to stay awake also physically to be able to do that. Uh, so I'm going to try to do this quickly, but, but I'm, I'm really excited about this truth that comes out of the baptism of Jesus. We started it last week. We're going to continue in that and uh, move into uh, another story just for a few seconds. All right, Matthew chapter 3. Verses 14 and 17. Uh, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens uh, were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, last week, we saw that Jesus came to John, or from Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized of him. Now, what do we see in Jesus? We saw, number one, that when Jesus does something, it's not by accident. God is at work in the world, and he's accomplishing his plan in the world. And nobody is hindering it to this day. Jesus came in the moment to begin his ministry. He'd been 30 years in the world. And at a moment at God's command, Jesus came to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. So Jesus, nothing happens by accident. The Holy Spirit is moving and working in your life. Things are not happening by accident. So ask the Holy Spirit regularly, what are you doing? What are you doing? Connect with him. Find out what he's doing because everything has purpose. Jesus came to the Jordan to John. Jesus showed us the personal touch of God and the Holy Spirit on a life. God has a plan for your life and for my life that fits into his plan, and he's going to accomplish this plan in his time. Everybody hear that again. He is going to accomplish his plan in your life in his time. All right, God is going to complete what he started in you. He's not going to leave you half-baked, all right? This week, in life groups, we realized two applications of this truth. I, I heard these things talked about. Number one application is if God has a plan for your life that he's unfolding in his time, number one, ask him what it is. Oh, I don't know what God's plan is. Well, guess what? He has a plan, and he can speak to you. So ask God. What is your plan for my life? Ask him. That's a good application of that truth about Jesus. You can ask God what his plan is, and he will reveal it to you. And the second thing was that we need to wait for it. Some of you have God's plan already. Can you imagine John? We talked about him last week from the beginning, from, bef- from, from his birth. It was prophesied by Zechariah that he would be the one who would be proclaiming that the Lord is coming, the Messiah is coming. He's preparing the way for the Lord, and for 30 years, nothing, nothing, nothing. He's out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing and wearing weird clothes and eating weird stuff, and people are coming out there, and he's saying, it's coming. He's coming. Really, one's coming who I can't even tie his sandals. He's greater than me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, man. There's one coming, the Messiah, who's going to deliver us from sin. And and this baptism is to say that you believe that year after year after year. And at the appointed time, Jesus came and fulfilled that. And he's going to do that in your life. Just trust that. Wait for it. Don't make it happen. Wait for God's plan to be fulfilled in your life. If God says he's going to do something, wait for it. It's coming. And then number 3, Jesus revealed himself as savior of the world. You know, when the voice from heaven came down, it was a it was a it was a fulfillment of what John had said would happen. That that God was going to come and reveal that Jesus was the the one that would be revealed in Israel. In John's gospel, when he talks about the baptism, he says this in verses 30 and 31, chapter 1. He says, "This is the one of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me." Because he was before me, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water. Why did John come baptizing with water? That he might be revealed to Israel, that the Messiah might be revealed to Israel. God is revealing himself as Savior of the world. The Holy Spirit, in that moment of Jesus' baptism, descended like a dove. The heavens opened up and a voice came from heaven, and he was revealed to Israel. The Holy Spirit will do whatever is necessary to win those who will believe in him. It's not like God doesn't have foreknowledge. All right, we might have some arguments about predestination, about whether God ordains some to be saved or some to be lost. We will have arguments about that, but we're not even going to talk about that because it's a disputable matter. But one thing we know, without a doubt, is God has foreknowledge. He he already knows what's going to happen, and there's nobody that's going to be saved that the Holy Spirit is not going to reveal Jesus to. That's going to happen. We want to be a part of that. The Holy Spirit will do whatever is necessary to win those who will believe. So we need to trust him to do that. And what do we do in the process? We need to bless people, begin with prayer, listen to them, eat with them, serve them, and share the gospel with them. And then we need to wait. Not make it happen. Not talk someone into doing something they don't want to do. Not convince them through argument that, hey, this is really better than the plan you have. Just let the Holy Spirit do his work. Bless people. And wait. Because the Holy Spirit will do his work. Everybody with me on that? Okay, that was last week. Hope you got all that. Now, today we're going to continue in this passage. And we look at Jesus was clearly communicating that we have missed. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be with us? And we're going to miss this message. But most of us in this room have missed it and have just recently gotten it over the last few years. And some of you still have not understood this great truth about who Jesus is. And it's clearly communicated through his baptism and the temptations. And again, we're looking at Jesus and the beauty of his person as it's revealed in his baptism. We are not doing a a baptism doctrine study. We're not doing that today. We're not doing a doctrine study of the the doctrine of the temptations uh, of, of Christ We are looking at Jesus and asking, what does this say that he is for us, okay? So be with me on this. Stay with me. Let's go. Number one, Jesus fulfills the meaning of baptism. John preached repentance and faith in the coming deliverer. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. People responded to this. They responded to John's message. John is preaching this baptism of repentance and faith in the coming deliverer. In Matthew chapter 3, look at their response. Then Jerusalem, verses 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in their commentary says this about the baptism of Jesus. And it's clear in what we just read. It says, this baptism was at once a public seal of their felt need of deliverance from sin, of their expectation of the coming deliverer, And of their readiness to welcome him when he appeared. It was an admission of their need of a deliverer. They needed someone to come and deliver them. To do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. To remove their sin. The sin that separated them from God. And to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. The righteous requirements of a just God. The things that a just God required from us. And so in John... First John the Baptist or John the Baptist introduces Jesus and in making clear what his baptism symbolized. In John chapter 1 he says behold the lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. So we know that Jesus came as a deliverer when people were being baptized by John in the Old Testament they were being baptized with a four knowledge or an understanding that there was a deliverer coming that would take away their sins that would do for them what they couldn't do for themselves and so they were baptized in a way that was symbolized that they were depending on the Holy Spirit our Jesus to come the Messiah to come and to remove their sins this was not a common teaching Jewish people were coming to be baptized by them. It was common for for non-Jewish people, proselytes, to be baptized into the Jewish faith, but it was not common for people who were Jews to come and to be baptized to say, we are depending on the Messiah to remove our sins. It's a beautiful picture, though, of what Jesus was going to do for them. They recognized something that I hope you recognize today, church. Listen, do you realize that That your sin has caused you to be separated from God. That that your sin makes it impossible for you to to be in a relationship with a holy and just God. That God demands perfection from you in order for you to have a relationship with him. Now, if, if you were to ask yourself today, am I perfect? I hope every one of you will realize the answer is absolutely not. There is nobody perfect. There was only one person who was perfect. And and when Jesus was baptized, or when people were being baptized prior to Jesus' baptism, it was symbolic of a day when someone who was perfect would come and satisfy the righteous requirements of a just God. When someone would come and, as a sacrifice, be offered up to wash their sins away. The prophet Isaiah had talked about this, but it had been misinterpreted. And now John was interpreting it correctly when he says, there's a coming a day when one will, all, all of us like sheep have gone astray and each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord will lay on him the iniquity of us all. Though our, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be, be as wool. That there would come a day when a deliverer would take our sins away. And John is preaching about that Messiah. They didn't connect the Messiah with the suffering servant in the Old Testament. Uh, Most of the Jews didn't, and the Jewish leaders definitely didn't. And so here, John is making a connection for them. Jesus is coming, and he's going to remove our sins. In, In verses 13 through 16, Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill All righteousness. Then he consented. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. All of those things that were predicted in the Old Testament. All those things that needed to be taken care of. uh, That were prophesied about in the Old Testament. the, The removal of our sins. Jesus fulfilled that. Removing our sins and giving us his righteousness. We did not have the ability to ever become righteous by the removal of our own sin. And if we carried our sins into the grave, we would forever be separated from God. And so Jesus is baptized to symbolize not carry the carrying of his own sin into into a grave, but it symbolizes for us what would happen when when Jesus carried our sins into the grave. Jesus is fulfilling our righteousness, and this this is a symbol of Jesus walking into into uh, uh, the grave. It's a symbol of what is to come for us when Jesus would be crucified for us, and he is symbolizing that he has no sin. John didn't want to baptize him because he said, "You, you you don't have any sin. You should be baptizing me. John didn't understand. No, we need to fulfill all righteousness. You need to see the truth of what Jesus is revealing here. It's that Jesus is going into the water with our sins. Jesus is going into the grave with our sins. Jesus is being raised raised up to find the approval of the Father and the heavens opening up and a voice saying, I am well pleased with him. You need to hear God saying about you in your future condition, I am well pleased with you, not because of you, but because you are in Christ, baptized with him. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 5 say this. How shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too Might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let this truth sink in, church. Y'all ready? Y'all with me? Let it sink into your spirit. This is something that we miss when we don't look at Jesus and his character as he's baptized. Jesus was not baptized to symbolize the removal of his own sins. He was baptized to symbolize the removal of our sins. How many of us have been with him for years or were with him for years and never saw him as our righteousness? Can you hear the Holy Spirit asking you the question this morning? The question that Jesus asked Philip, how long will I be in you and you not know me as your righteousness? Jesus' baptism was a picture of what he would become for us in his death and his resurrection. Our baptism is a picture of our connection with his death and righteousness. I don't know how we get it confused, but we certainly do. And we have had so many false pictures of baptism where we try to say, oh, it's, it's, it's the washing of our sins away. You know what? When you walk into the baptistry, You are standing in that baptistry in the same way that Christ stood in the water of the Jordan. You are already perfect. You know, if John was here today, and and as a believer, you prayed and received Christ, you received the Holy Spirit, you gave your life to Christ, and then you were walking into the baptistry waters to be baptized. If John was doing your baptism, he should be saying of you the same thing he said of Jesus. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You're perfect. Now let that sink in for a minute. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever, ever realized that? That when you walk in the water, don't walk in as a dirty worm. You've already been cleansed. When God looks at you, he sees you as perfect. And when you walk out of that, all you're doing is you're symbolizing what has already happened in your life. It happened when Jesus Died on the cross. It happened. It's the same picture. It's, it's symbolic of what happened when Jesus walked in the water. This is just symbolism of what happened, what I'm doing for, the, for mankind, for everyone who would put their faith in me. I'm removing their sins. It happened when Jesus died on the cross. And it happened for you when you put your faith in him and received the free gift of salvation. So you're walking in not saying, I hope this gets us, I hope that he puts me deep. <laughs> if so, poor old Jared. I didn't get him deep enough. The water drained out of the baptistry before I got him in there. (laughs) Nothing like a leaky baptistry, man. I hope he gets me deep enough to wash all my sins away. Guess what, gang? No. All you're doing is just saying, "I I am stepping into this water because Christ was my example. I want to be a picture of what Christ has already done for me. It's just a picture. And do you get the picture? We, we, we see the baptism. How many baptisms will you see before you realize that Christ is your righteousness? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, one of my favorite verses. Paul said this, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that we could be made or become the righteousness of God. John also said that Jesus' baptism was symbolic of life change that would come. Jesus would, in fact, deliver us from the power of sin, not just remove our sins and make us righteous before God and give us a right standing before God, but he, he would actually empower us to live a life where, whereby sin is being put away and righteousness is being put on, where we're able to have victory over sin in our life. And that's where we, we another place we really get mixed up at times. But John says that Jesus' baptism was also symbolic of that kind of life change, giving us victory over the everyday sins that we have hard times overcoming. When John's disciples stepped into the water, if they didn't have the resurrection of the coming Messiah in mind, they were just getting wet. And today, when we step into the water, if we don't have the righteousness of Jesus in mind, we're just getting wet. John would not allow the Pharisees and Sadducees to step into the water. We probably ought to do a little bit of that here, too. He wouldn't allow them to step into the water. Listen to what he says. Boy, this is strong words. A very, but a very pretty clear message. You'd you be the judge. This is what John said when uh, Baptist, or John the Baptist said whenever some of the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to be baptized. Look at it in chapters, in verse 7 through 10. is cut down and thrown into the fire. Look, there were people who thought, I'm, we're, we're righteous. We're going to go get baptized because, you know, we're, we're righteous. We got it. And, and we have, how, how many times have we be seen baptism? Have we been a part of baptism, maybe have been baptized, and we don't see the truth of who Jesus is in that? We think we're doing something to impress God. And we're not. We don't have Jesus and his righteousness in mind. We don't have his perfection in mind. We have ourselves in mind. And these these Pharisees and Sadducees were always arguing with one another. They were at odds with one another. And one thing they came together on was that they were going to go together and get baptized so that people would see that their religion is valid. Those that were following John, if John would baptize them, then they would, would just add to their cred. And John said no then you can find yourself trying to be righteous, or you can find yourself in Christ, in his baptism. My, my recommendation is find yourself in him, standing pure before the Father, thanks to Jesus. So how did Jesus' baptism symbolize the coming victory over sin? Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I baptize you with, with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit didn't come until after, or until Pentecost, after the resurrection of Christ. But Jesus immediately after his baptism symbolized for, or did for us in a practical way, he walked out for us what this would look like when the Holy Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit and fire would come in, uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit would come in and purify us and burn away our sins. The Holy Spirit would come in and convict us of sin. But not only that, would give us the power to overcome sin. And Jesus gave a beautiful picture of that. It wasn't going to happen to us until Pentecost, but what did Jesus do? Jesus comes out of his baptism. And, and everybody's thinking, okay, this, all of John's uh, disciples are saying, okay, this is, this is that baptism that he's the one that's going to deliver us from our sins. And they understood the meaning of, of Jesus being their righteousness, right? Symbolic of their righteousness. And they were probably like us. They were all standing around saying, wow, that's cool, man. We're, we're going to be righteous. And probably asking the same question that some of you are asking, I hope. And if not, you need to. If, if we are perfect already, then what do I need to do anything for? Why do anything righteous? Here's a good question. What am I going to do now that I don't have to do anything? Jesus answers that question. This righteousness he's talking about is more than just a cleansing on the inside. It's this cleansing on the inside that totally transforms your heart, totally transforms your motives and your your desires. It's the fruit that the Pharisees and Sadducees had nothing to do with. They were coming with legalism, wanting to be in the water to make more of their legalism. And John said, no, instead, go show some fruit of repentance. Let's see if you really gave your heart to God because it changes you. It changes your motives and your actions, and that's what we want. We want to see the righteousness of Christ and what he's done for us and that he's made us perfect before God, and now we don't have to rebel anymore. And Jesus does that. Beautiful pictures. Picks up in chapter 4. Look at it. Look at what he does. It's another encounter here. That we need to review and remember that we're looking at Jesus for the purpose of coming to know the power and the person of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Okay, so, so let's see Jesus in his encounter with the enemy, Satan, in chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. into. The, y'all with me, say, oh yeah? Because I'm about to read this. This is the word you need to hear. Okay? Not my words. You need to hear this word. And it's going to be 11 verses. Okay? So I'll lose 11 of you. One every minute, unless you focus. Here we go. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Look, as so we're considering what we can do in our own power, we need to see Jesus as our righteousness, Okay. Y'all with me? We need to see him as our righteousness. We need to see him as the one who has washed our sins away and made us righteous. We need to see him as the one who has fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. And then we need to answer the question, so what do I do now that I'm perfect in God's eyes? And Jesus answers that question for us. He says, you don't have to walk in sin anymore. You don't have to be ruled by Satan and his temptations and his shenanigans. And in the same way that if we don't walk into the water with ourselves in our mind, or we just get wet, the same thing is true as if we, if we try to walk into life after our baptism and say we can now do anything we want to do without realizing we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus to give us his power and his example of how we overcome, and he does here. He's our righteousness. He's, a, he's the fulfillment of our righteousness, righteousness from moment to moment. If we go on what we do, we already see, we've already seen in the creation story what we can do, right? Everybody remember what we did in our own power? In the, in the creation, what man did? We, over, we, we fell to temptation. And it's interesting in this text that Jesus comes out of the water. He faces the temptations. He faces our enemy in the, in the wilderness. And he overcomes Satan in the three ways that we fell in the garden. John, in 1 John, chapter 2, describes our sin in this way. Here's our condition in the garden. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Here's what he does. John is saying, okay, I know there's a lot of sins in the Bible and all that stuff. And you can go, go through and you can define all the different sins, which a lot of us try to do, right? And we, we try to cast the stone at other people that don't have our sins, one of our favorite things to do. I got this one under control, so I'm going to cast this one at you because this is your issue. And then we also have certain sins that are socially unacceptable and some that are okay. We, that's what we do. So John does helps us here. He gives us three categories, and every one of us have failed in all three categories. He throws all the sins into three categories. He says, number one, the lust of the flesh, all right, physical temptation. Number two, the lust of the eyes, seeing something that looks good and wanting it for ourselves. Number three, the pride of life, being somebody, right? Doing the kinds of things that make a name for myself, I need, I, need, I need people to appreciate me. I need to, I, I need to be getting my needs met. I want what I want. And it's all about me. And we've all fallen to that. Adam and Eve fell in every category of sin. If you go back and look at the temptation and the way that Satan tempted them, here's what it said about the woman. It says that she saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. Number two. Desires of the eyes. It said the woman saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. Number three, scripture says that the woman saw that the tree was desired to make one wise. And she ate. And he ate. And you ate, and I ate. We all ate. So what is what is what is Jesus going to show us about Himself in the temptations, in His very first act after he symbolizes righteousness for us becoming our righteousness washing our sins away that he's going to show us that it's more than just an emotional decision it's more than just getting wet it's more than just accepting the fact that we've been given righteousness by Christ it's a life that you can live And he walks out and he spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness. And then he comes to Satan and he wins the victory for us. So what can we gain from Jesus and his encounter with Satan? Jesus did what we could never do. He's victorious over our enemy. He's victorious in every sin that we face. Every category of sin. John said all that is in the world and he gives us three categories. Every sin can be based, you can just say it. Jesus has conquered every sin on our behalf. He's done what we could never do. He's been victorious over our enemy. He's overcome sin by facing Satan's temptations that caused us to fall and refusing to follow himself. In a very practical way, Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So he's our righteousness and our example. If we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and if you've been, if you have received Christ, you have been. Since Pentecost, everyone who has become a believer has received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in with a purifying fire to burn away the sin that we still find dominating us at times. The Bible says it, that we should be baptized, and when we come out of the water, we should walk with him. In newness of life, how can we live anymore in the bondage of sin? There's no need. The Holy Spirit might be asking us this morning, How long have I been with you, and how long will I be with you? And you not know me? You still not know that I have power over every kind of sin that has ever existed and ever will exist? Do you not realize it? How long will I be with you before you're going to realize that that sin that you keep falling to and you feel miserable about after, that guilt that, you, that Satan keeps throwing on you because you still listen to what he says. You have power over that. It doesn't matter what the sin is. You have that power living inside of you. How long is the Holy Spirit going to be with you? And you're not going to realize that there's a better life on the other side of that temptation. That it's better for you if you just let the Holy Spirit take control and turn away from that sin. Let me quit saying you, we, okay, because I got them. How long are we going to hold on to that? How long are we going to hold on to those sins in our life that so easily beset us, as Paul talks about? That so easily get us off target and away from this knowledge of God that we could gain through experience. You know, I I can go over and over again into different categories of my life and things that God has taught me when I have overcome the sin of something in my life. Most of it, all of it tied to those three areas. You know, I think about things I wanted financially, things I wanted to spend my money on and how I wanted to have, have, have at a certain point in my life. That's not my problem anymore. I still like to have stuff, but it's not a a problem. It's not a sin that if God said you're not going to have it, I don't have any issues with it. But that happened over time, and it happened in this way. God told me to do some things with my money. I obeyed what he said, and he revealed that my life is better without it. Now, I can only tell you that that's true because I've done it. But there are other areas I'm still asking God, will you please just give me the strength to overcome? I'm trying to walk in that right now, and I encourage you guys to realize that the Holy Spirit can give you power and has that all the power that Jesus had to overcome those temptations is also there for you. So in conclusion church here it is. Jesus is our righteousness. You pick pick your kind of righteousness. You want to pick the righteousness of, of needing to have your sins removed? He's he is your righteousness. He is the sacrificial lamb that has washed away your sins. You want to talk about uh, living a perfect life? He is our righteousness. The, the John uh, uh, Paul said in Romans He said that, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. I'm a wretched man. Who's going to save me from this body of sin? And then he says in chapter 8, the righteous requirements have been fully met in Christ who lives in me. Fully met. He is your righteousness. And then you want to talk about the day-to-day struggles of being a righteous person, living a righteous life. Literally overcoming sin in your life. Jesus did it. And he lives in you. How long will he live in you? Before you realize that the practical day to day righteousness that you want and seek and desire in your heart can be yours if the price is right. Can be yours because the price has been paid, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we need today to realize this great truth about Jesus and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that you have completed all the righteous requirements of the law, and we praise you today for that. God, make our praise real this morning as we worship. Help us to have a different, a different uh, worship attitude today and environment because of this great truth that we discovered today or rediscovered. Let, let our hearts be filled with praise for you, God, as our righteousness. And then help us, God, to give grace to people, give love to people, to show who you are to people. To quit showing judgment which reveals that we think righteousness is something we have in ourselves. But instead just to live a righteous life by the power of the Holy Spirit and let people see Jesus. And our prayer is that, that God today that people will see how great you are. That people will see how great you are when we live judgment-free lives. When we live lives of of Passion for people and love for people, unconditional love that reaches out and meets them where they are. That they would see your righteousness as for them as well, and we'd be able to say with honest hearts and not with tongue in cheek or a winking eye that we'd be able to look at people in the face and say, I'm, "I am dependent." On the righteousness of Jesus. It's been given to me as a free gift and it's available for you. And we're in the same boat. God, help us to get that. Get that in our hearts. Let us not be with you one more hour, one more second without letting that deep, get deep into our hearts and letting our lives be a reflection of that. God, in the practical, we have sins today that we want to be over. And I pray today for commitment. Lord, from our hearts. Not commitment to pull ourselves up, to get better, to do something in our own power. But a commitment, Lord, based on the truth that you are our righteousness in a practical way. And help us to put that into action today. Give us a something today that we would commit to work on. Lord, knowing all the time that if we walk in it, we will know you in a better way. And our lives will be more abundant as you promised, more complete. Remind us today, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but you come that we might have life and have it to the full. We worship you, Lord.